If you would put the graphic up, please. We began a new series last week, I think it was last week, and it's called On the Edge of Eternity. Um, and this is something, as we begin to look at this, uh, this, is, this is what God's begun to deal with me about. Just to let you a little insight into most pastors, you know what God's been dealing with them about because it's what they start dealing with you about. And God's begun to deal with me, and He started, in, a, in this graphic, says it so much. This is where everyone is. Whether you're a believer in Christ or you're not, you are on, we are all on the edge of eternity. We talked last week about what an edge is. An edge is the, is, is, the, is the dividing line between one thing and another. So when you cross over that edge, you leave something and you enter something else. An edge is a definite period in time or a definite period in space where you leave one thing and cross into another. It's also another uh, synonym for it is a brink of something. <clears throat> and the one we're talking about is we all live on the edge of eternity. Literally, you are one heartbeat away. I am one heartbeat away from eternity. And you don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know when that's going to happen. Sometime today, you could leave your, read your last breath. And when you do, your soul and your spirit is either going to go immediately into the presence of the Lord, ushered there by angels, or it's going to be dragged immediately down by demons into hell. And we'll talk about that as we go forward. But the key is to wake up and realize where we are because most of us are living our lives through a daily routine, dealing with the drudgery of today, maybe the excitement of today and tomorrow. Today is, a, is you know, for most of you tomorrow, although it is a holiday, for some of you it's a holiday, for many of us it's still a day of work. So we get up on Monday, we go through our normal routine, look forward to the weekend. It's the weekend, we come to church on Sunday, don't we? And then we go into the work week on Monday and we go through this routine over and over again. And by doing it over and over over again, we get lulled into this false sense that this is the way it's always going. I know I'm getting older. I don't look the way I did in my high school graduation picture. But all I've ever known in my life is I'm alive. And all we've ever known is things are alive. We're alive. And so therefore, it's very hard for us to picture and imagine that that's going to end. But the Bible is very clear. It's appointed for every man wants to die. And if we don't die, it's because Jesus comes back. But we're not going to live this life forever, and we don't know when it ends. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, before he gets talking about husbands and wife relationship, Paul says that, that therefore, he quotes the Old Testament, we're to awake, sleeper. He's talking to the church. Wake up, sleeper. Realize where you are. And then he goes on and says, we need to walk or live our life. And the word we looked at last week from the Scripture is circumspectly. That means carefully. That means watching around you very carefully. If you know what it, remember what it's like, because we'll get there soon, when, when it snowed or there's ice on the ground and you, you, know, you come out of your, to get to your car or whatever, you're, and you realize it's icy and slippery, you don't walk the way you normally walk. Just casually assuming every step is safe, you walk circumspectly. You walk carefully. In some cases, testing it because you want to make sure it's solid and sure, that's what circumspectly means, carefully aware of the situation you're in and, 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 there, and that there's things could happen you're not expecting to happen. I remember one day we, had lived, we owned a house in, outside of Boston when I was practicing law there and the front steps were, were, were brick. Well, brick can absorb a little moisture and then it froze. And I was running late. Three-piece suit, leather briefcase, 
running late to work, and I walked out and put my right foot, or I don't remember, put one of my feet on that first step, I didn't do it circumspectly. I did it on the routine that I've always done it before. It's always been solid, and it wasn't. It was solid ice. And my left foot, or what, one, I went up in the air, went around, and I landed on the bricks on the floor, ground. And I was, what just happened? Well, I wasn't being circumspect in the way I walked. And so Paul says, we are as a church to wake up and live carefully, very much aware of the times we're in. And then he goes on and says, and, re- and this is what you're to do, redeem the time, because the days are evil. Well, if they were evil then, they're surely evil now. And so the days are evil. So the purpose of this series is to just awaken us that every day you and I are living on the brink, on the edge of eternity, and that should affect how we live our lives. But it also means that every day we're running into people, we're walking with people, we're working around people, we're on a bus with people, we're in a carpool with people that are also facing eternity. And they don't know when that is. And we need to be live aware of that. Now, what we're going to look at is this reality means something different for those who are in Christ, Christ followers, than it does from those who don't believe in Christ. And today we're going to talk about what does this mean to walk circumspectly? What does it mean to take the blindfold off and realize I'm on the edge of eternity every day? Because this means something for a Christian, for those who are in Christ, just as much as it means something for those who aren't, but it means something very different. So we're going to look at three basic things this morning of what, of what that means. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. The first thing we're going to see that it means is that it gives us a perspective. It gives us a perspective that, should, that strengthens us and encourages us. I remember hearing a, a, a teacher years ago and somebody commented on that they were getting older and, uh, and I, that they were older than I was, so I knew they were old. And, um, and they, they said, uh, you know, what do you think? You're getting to be such and such an age. And she said this. She said, and I, I was a friend of mine uh, had a birthday this week and was commenting about how much older they feel. And I said, but you haven't made a dent in eternity. 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years old. My mother's 94 not a dent in eternity. Not a dent in it. It changes your perspective if you're a Christian. Okay. Hebrews 10. Now, the book of Hebrews it was written to Hebrews. That's worth writing down. <laughs> the book of Hebrews was written, and there's a dispute as to whether it was Paul or who it was, but the Holy Spirit wrote it. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers who were saved and came to Jerusalem, and then in the early persecution of the first century, they were driven out of, out of Europe, I mean out of, of Jerusalem, and many of them ended up in Asia Minor, many of them ended up outside of Israel. Well, when they got away from the mother church and the root of their teaching in Jerusalem, they, began to, they were influenced by other teachings that came in. And many of those teachings were designed to pull them back into the old practices of Judaism. Because Judaism then was based on the Ten Commandments, but then the Pharisees and the Sadducees added 613 rules. And if you broke one of them, you broke them all. At least that's what the, that's what the Pharisees believed. And so, so 
there were groups called the Judaizers and others trying to pull them back into what they used to believe. Some of Paul's letters are written to, to Gentile believers and there were pagans trying to pull them back into what they used to believe. So there's a pull that comes against Christians to try to pull us back to what we came out of. That's going to be important for us in a moment. It's interesting, many Christians, when they backslide, really backslide, they go back to what they used to do, and they're worse than they were before, and the Scriptures bear that out. So this was written to encourage them and to strengthen them, and the writer of it corrects certain things and reminds, he's calling them the remembrance of the difference between what they were taught as Jews and what the Gospel teaches, what the Bible teaches, what Jesus came to do. And it's a series of comparisons of angels, of, of Moses, of the law, of the high priest, all of them comparing them to Christ and who He is. And then He comes into chapter 10 and He challenges them near the end to encourage them and strengthen them. And we're going to pick up on verse 35. It's interesting, my wife quoted this verse to me on the way over here. Because of all this, verse 35, Therefore, that's what the therefore was, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. So he's telling them to hold on to what they believe and to not be shaken off of it. Satan will use temptation to pull you back, but he'll use difficulties, obstacles, challenges to wear us down. You know, sometimes one of the, the tricks he has is to think you're the only person going through having such a hard time. Well, 1 Corinthians 10 says there's no temptation come against us. That's not common to man. You go back and look. We don't have time this morning to do it. I can take you back into Genesis 3 and show you the devil uses the same things today he used back then. There's nothing new. So we ought to wake up to it. So you're not somebody unique that you're the only person going through a difficult time. But he wants to wear us down so we become discouraged, we become weary. And this is why I was telling to somebody the other day, isn't it interesting that back in Galatians, Paul says, don't become weary in well-doing. They were weary back then. So getting weary in well-doing is not a new thing. It's a work of the enemy. So Paul is, or the writer of Hebrews, I think it's Paul, but the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't throw away your confidence. Oh, that's good. Be careful, I can't... That means nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can steal your confidence. Like you can't go to sleep one day full of confidence and wake up the next day and say, where'd it go? You may feel as if it's gone, but nobody took it from you. You have to throw it away. But He tempts you to throw it away. Therefore, do not cast away or throw away your confidence. Why? It has a great reward. One of the motivations to hold on is there's a reward coming which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. I don't like that word. <laughs> endurance implies it's not going to come fast. Endurance implies I've got I've to bear up with something I don't like. I don't have to endure ice cream. with hot fudge on it. I don't have to endure something I enjoy, no matter how long it takes. I've shared this before. I had met with some teenagers a few years ago, and 
they were saying, you know, we, we just don't have, a, we don't have a, the attention span to listen to the, the messages as long as you preach. You know, we can do about 30 minutes. I said, so you only go to 30-minute movies? You fall asleep at 30 minutes? It's not that you don't have the ability, you don't have the heart interest. It's the things we're interested in we don't have to endure. Some of you have to endure this morning. <laughs> you have need of endurance. Why? So that after, 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 after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while he who is coming will come and he will not tarry, so the just shall live by faith. This is how we endure to the end as we live by faith. If anyone draws back, my soul takes no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. They were under pressure, intense pressure, persecution, to give up and to go back to what they were, the way they were. The pressure is always this. If you just quit, if you just give in, it'll get easier on you. If you just quit and give in, it's the pressure that's wearing you down. No, it's not the pressure that's wearing In fact, you only get stronger by resisting it. I belong to a gym. And they have weights there and machines there. And they have resistance in those machines. And the more resistance you work against, the stronger you get. Because when you resist those weights, when you lift those bars, when you do that, your muscles are having to work and you're actually destroying things in there. And what happens is once you've destroyed that in there, your body works to, re, to replace it, and in the replacing of it, it strengthens it. So it's only in the wearing down that your body gets stronger. And the same is true spiritually. It's as you resist the temptation, as you resist, as you fight against it, not in your strength, in the Lord's strength, that you become stronger in your faith. You become stronger I've grown more this year than any other year as a Christian, but it's grown through going through difficulties and challenges like I've never gone through before. And then he goes, so, so uh, okay. Now, Hebrews 11 now is written to encourage them in their faith so that they will stand firm for this eternal reward. So this is the Hall of Fame of Faith, and that's what this is about. But I want you to see why it's here. It's here because the writer of Hebrews is telling them how they can endure through the end because it's not looking at what they're going through. It's not looking at the things of this world. The only way God's ordained for us to go through to be encouraged and strengthened through the difficulty is to take our eyes off of this life and to look at the reward, to look at the eternity that we're stepping into someday. And that's what we're going to look at. So the first, the first value of Taking the blindfold off for Christians is we'll be encouraged by it. Eternity should encourage us, not scare us. So let's go down and start. Let's look at other several things I want to highlight in here. Verse 1 says that this can only be grasped by faith. Now remember, these notes are on the website. So if you go to FCC-Church, uh, you will find in there, uh, you will find right on the front page, you will find these notes. It's under a thing called Today's Notes. We wanted to make it hard to find. 
So number one, you can, can, can only grasp by faith what eternity is about. Because you've never seen it. You can't see it. Let's look at verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. Now here's a great example. God took Abram, we don't have time to go back to who he was, but he was living in a very pagan society in a city called Ur, you are, where Babylon is or Iran is right now. And God told him to leave, and he said, I want you to pack up your things, leave your family, and go to a place that I'm going to tell you when you get there. The biggest step of faith he has had to tell his wife. <laughs> We're moving. Yeah, where? I don't know. Why? God told me. Who? Because they just worship the moon. And so he leaves trusting that what God was going to take him to was better than what he was leaving. He had to trust God in order to leave where he was. And he had to trust Him for things he could not see, but God promised him. So he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, And he dwelt, he lived in a land of promise when he got there, in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac his son and Jacob his grandson, and the heirs with him of the same promise. So they lived in tents. And one of them was meditating on us and began to realize the significance of their living in tents. A tent has no foundation. So one of the things when you live in a tent, you know it's not a permanent place. There are nomads, there are Bedouins in that area that still live in tents because they don't have a permanent dwelling place. The tent, they're going to move today, tomorrow they may go somewhere else and move. When God lived among the Israelites while they were sojourning in the, in the, in the wilderness, God dwelled among them, but He lived in a tent when He was with them, the tabernacle of the wilderness. And so a tent implies there's no foundation. It's not a permanent place. So every time you get up in the morning, every time you go into the tent, you're reminding yourself, you're being reminded, this is only a temporary dwelling. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul refers to our body as a tent. A temporary dwelling. You are not your body. That's just the, the building or that's just the tent that you live in. And when you, when you pass out of this realm into eternity, you leave that body here. And you, the real you, which is your spirit and your soul, go one direction or the other. Okay, we've got to move on. They dwell in tents. Verse 10. For he waited for a city which had foundations. So here's the contrast. They were here in that land, dwelling in a temporary building, but their eyes were on a city that had a foundation, that was permanent. That, they could do all this without seeing anything because they were not looking at their tent. They were not looking at what they had now. Their inner eyes of their inner man was looking forward to something greater that was more permanent. So no matter what they went through here, this wasn't it. That was what they were going for. That's what they were looking for. For he waited for a city whose foundation and builder and maker is God. Let's go over to verse 13. They all died in faith, not having seen these promises. But having seen them from afar, they were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly 
that they're seeking a homeland. This earth, this life is not your home. It is a temporary place you're living. A number of years ago, I was struggling with the fact that I was getting older. I realized it beat the alternative. When you stop getting older, you've left here. (laughs) But it was bothering me until I was praying about it and God spoke something to me. Maria came up and said the same thing to me last week. God says, I want you to look at this life not as how old you are, but as your assignment. This is your assignment. And so you fulfill your assignment and then there's a reward. And that's what they learn to look at here. But notice this. Verse 15, For truly if they had called to mind the country which they had come out of, they would have, that's, they would have had opportunity to return to it. That's a very important statement. Remember I said to you that the pressure that you go through is designed to pull you back to what you originally came out of, back into the world? The temptations that Satan brings to you are all to to go back into the way you used to do things. And when people slide back, they slide back into what they used to do and worse. And they were being tempted to go back to the way they used to do things. The Hebrews were being tempted to go back to the way they used to do things. The Gentile believers were being tempted to go back into their pagan practices, tempted to to go back. And what the writer is here saying is, if you don't keep your eyes and your hope on the future, you will have an opportunity to go back. Why? You'll get weary, you'll get worn down, and in some place when you're relying on your own strength, you'll quit and give up, and then the enemy will pull you back. So this is very important. The walk of faith is very important. It's not just for getting healing. It's not just for getting your needs met. It's to keep your eyes on the prize. To keep your eyes on the prize. And that's what encourages us and strengthens us. 2 Corinthians 4.8 This is how Paul got through it. Paul talks here about, if you want to know the details of this, you can go to 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 11. We're going to pick up in verse um, 8. We're hard, listen to this, this is the Apostle Paul, we're hard pressed on every side. You ever feel that way? I mean, it's coming in from every angle, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, that means we don't know what to do. We're confused, we don't understand things. But we're not in despair. We're persecuted but we're not forsaken. We've been struck down, but we're not destroyed. Paul got, it got so bad, everywhere he went, there was incredible opposition. Why? Because he was bringing the gospel to pagans for the first time. He was birthing the church in parts of the world that it hadn't gone into yet, and it was opposed by Satan everywhere he went. I remember reading years ago, a bishop of a church saying, it dawned on me in reading the book of Acts, Everywhere Paul went, they beat him and put him in jail and persecuted him. Everywhere I go, they serve me tea. I wonder what I'm doing wrong. And this is how Paul got through it. This is how Paul was encouraged every day. Some of these were, many of these, many of the letters we have were written from prison. And the later ones were written from prison knowing he was about to be executed. And there's a, mo- there's a tone of victory in everything he writes. But this is why. This is why. 
verse, we'll pick up in verse um, 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith as it is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up and present us with you, for all things are for your sake. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. For this, I love the, the New American Standard. It says this momentary light affliction. Go back and read what that was like. How many... T- he, was, he, was, he, was, he was scourged more than Jesus was. Beaten. He was shipwrecked a night and a day in the deep. Often in prison. Often without anything to eat. To present, to, to spread the gospel. One point he cried out to God three times to take this away from him. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I will get you through these. So Paul doesn't write this from, from a, 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 an elevated room in a seminary writing some theory. He's lived this every day. For this moment, this light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So he's weighing the momentariness of what he's going through with the eternal weight. This is what you have to keep your eyes on. Whatever you're going through, don't quit! Whatever you're going through, be encouraged because this is going to end at some point and then you're going to step into eternity and there's a reward for you. Just by being faithful, there's a reward for you. People get discouraged. This is never going to work out. You're going to step into eternity and it's all going to work out. And there's verse 18 is the key. For we do not look at the things that are seen, the things of this realm, but the things that are not seen, the eternal. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen that we put our eyes on are eternal. So the first thing is, it gives us a perspective. Eternity gives a Christian a perspective that should strengthen us and encourage us in the difficult times. The second thing is the Bible tells us to comfort one another with this hope. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 13. But I do not want you ignorant, brethren, so this is written to believers, concerning those who have fallen asleep, died, stepped into eternity, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus, those who died before Jesus comes back. For this we say by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive, that's us, and remain until the Lord comes, will by no means precede those who are asleep. This is one of the great hopes for those who've lost loved ones in Christ. And the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive shall remain, shall remain we shall be caught up together with Him. That word caught up is a word that, that we get uh, a rapture from. And in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So to a Christian, eternity should be comfort to us that it's not going to be this way forever, that the Lord is coming back for us, that He cares for us. Okay. 
There's others. Look at, at some point, um, well, let's, let's go to f- chapter 5. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, I have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes as a sli- thief at night. Now, we don't know when it's going to happen. We're on the edge of it. He could come back today. Are we ready? And when they say peace and safety, that's the lulled into security and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them as labor pains. He's talking about when he comes back on the unbelievers. Uh, Like as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. For you are all sons, and and you are light and sons of the day, we are not of the night or the darkness therefore let us not sleep as others do but let us watch and be sober there's that same word again be circumspect be alert wake up take the blindfold off to where you are and that's encouraging for God did not appoint us to wrath oh no I got ahead wait a minute verse 9 verse 7 for those who sleep, sleep at night, but those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with Him. That's another hope. What happens when we step into eternity? We shall live. Paul says elsewhere, he says, to be absent from, the, from, from this body is to be immediately present with the Lord. And when you're present with Him, you have to pray by faith. You can see His face. Imagine looking into the eyes of Jesus, those deep pools and wells of love. Imagine hearing His voice. Imagine feeling the touch of His hand. Wow! That's what you're on the edge of every day. That's what you're on the edge of every day. We sing songs about, you know, you, you know, when we all get to heaven, what a glorious, that's an old one, when we all glorious day will be. And then you go to the doctor on Monday and he says you've got six months to live. Like, oh God, what am I going to do? And, uh, you find out you're getting there faster than you thought. <laughs> Shows you what we really believe, doesn't it? All right, praise the Lord. Let's go on down here. Verse 12. No, verse 11. That's where we're going to stop there. Okay, so we've already looked at this. First, the, the reality to a Christian of, pers- of, of, of eternity puts this life in perspective and gives us encouragement. The second thing is it gives us hope that this is not everything. The worst day you're ever going to have is going to end. Whatever you're going through right now is going to end. And you're going to step into an eternity that never ends. So this momentary light affliction, we're going to trade for an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort each other with these words. So instead of avoiding it, we need to comfort ourselves with it and comfort one another. The third thing is we need to be prepared for what comes in eternity. Because the Bible says, it's appointed to every man once to die. Great. Then comes the judgment. 
So we're going to look briefly this morning at what this means. You ever have a bad day? Let's see, one, two, three, four of you. The rest of you are just so holy and saints, you just walk on water. Praise God, I'm going to put you up here. I'm going to sit and listen to you. I had one of those days this week. Just where it feels like everything just... And then you start going to a party, your own party. It's called a pity party. And, you know, the only people that come are people that are having their own pity party and they share their party favors with you, but they won't participate in your pity unless you participate in their pity. And it just goes downhill fast. And I was having one of those. Nobody would join me, but I was doing it all by myself. And I got home and I decided, you know what? I need to watch something that's going to encourage me. So the wonderful thing about our, 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 uh, all the media we have right now is you can find almost anything that's good and that's not so good. So I went and found a, a teaching by Robert Morris. Remember Robert Morris from earlier this year? And it was called A Tough Day. I said, oh, that's what I need. Thank you, Lord. And I turned it on. You know, I got my whatever, iced tea or whatever it is, and I just settled down to just being encouraged about the tough day that I had. And he said, we're going to talk about a tough day. You haven't had it yet. That's what you think. He says, we're going to talk about the day of judgment. Uh Uh-oh, I got the wrong program on. Oh, no. My wife walked in. She said, I don't think that's what you want to watch. No, I don't want to watch it. But I knew it's what I needed to watch. And he talked about what we're going to talk about. And what happened is it jerked the slack out of me. It sobered me up. It woke me up to what the true reality is and where my heart really is. See, when we start feeling sorry for ourselves, when we get worn down, that's not our heart. You wouldn't be here this morning if that was your heart. But it's our soul, it's our thinking, it's what's going through our mind, what's so filling our senses up with discouragement and defeat. And that we get, we get, one teacher I listen to says, we get drunk on that. We're not going to go there this morning because that's a whole other teaching. And what this does is it sobered me up. It jerked the slack out of me because it made me face the reality that any moment I'm stepping to that place. And so we're going to look at... We're talking about a believer this morning. All right? Now the Bible tells us that there's two types of judgments that are going to come. All the word judgment means in Greek is a dividing line where something falls on one side or the other side. It's a dividing line where you, a, a dividing line is drawn and you show up on one side or you show up on the other side. That's the basic word of the meaning judgment. It doesn't mean punishment necessarily. It means finding out where you are. A discerning, drawing a line of where you really are, where I really am. Okay, so the Bible tells us that there's two of them that people are going to face when they step into eternity. And for believers, it's a very different one than it is from those who've not pushed their faith in Christ. And we'll talk about that one probably next week. And so for believers, it's a, and for the unbelievers, it's called the great white throne of judgment. And that's where those that appear before that throne appear before God on His throne, and they are cast into what's called the second death for eternity. You don't want to go there. But believers, just because we made it into heaven, I told you last week what Pastor Sam used to say is, so many of us are going to get and say, we made it and our tail, to- the coattails are still smoking because we almost went the other way. And it's like we go in there, I made it to heaven, I made it! Now what do I do for eternity? That moment will last a little while. 
And so the Bible says that there's a judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to look at that this morning. And the word is a different word. This word is the word bema, B-E-M-A, which is the Greek word that was used when they held the Olympic Games. And, the, and at the end of the Games, those that won would stand before, they had a, a special seat. I was looking at pictures of one the other day. A seat, and whoever the, the highest ranking government official that attended those Games would, would sit there, and, and they would hand out the, 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 they didn't hand out gold medals, they handed out wreaths of laurels that they would put on their head. And they would hand out the prize for the ones that came in first, and I don't know whether they did second or third, I don't know that. But I know they handed out the prize. And so the word bema represents the seat where the judgment, where the reward was handed out for how well they ran the race. And that's what this word represents. So it's the judgment seat of Christ. Now keep this in mind. What gets you into heaven is not anything you do, but it's where you put your trust for your salvation. But what you do determines what you do. What you did here determines what you do there. I heard another teacher, I was, I was Robert Morse, no. Yeah, it was Robert Morse in this teaching. said that our belief gets us into heaven or out of heaven. Our behavior determines what we do in heaven. Our behavior here, not there. Our behavior here. So one of the most important things for a Christian to understand about the perspective of eternity is every day you are laying up for yourself something of what you're going to be living with in eternity. Because we just kind of think heaven's every, the same thing every place and hell's the same thing every place. No. There are degrees of heaven and there are degrees of hell. There are degrees of punishments and there are degrees of rewards. There are also responsibilities that are given to us. Paul, writing to this Corinthian church, at one point says, because they were suing each other. Well, Christians do that today. Suing each other. And Paul says, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute. Because remember, he's correcting very immature Christians. He said, well, I don't get this. He said, brothers are suing brothers. Now, he's not saying you shouldn't have any disputes because they're going to happen. What he's saying is you ought to be able to settle them within the church. If you can't settle them within the church, how are you any different than the world? He said, because don't you understand that some of you are going to rule over cities. Some of you are going to rule and you're, you're showing now how responsible a person you are here and that will determine what responsibilities you're going to have in heaven for eternity. So we as Christians need to understand that although what we do or don't do here isn't going to send us to hell, what we do or don't do here is going to determine what we do and how we do it and where we do it for eternity in heaven. That's why Paul said this momentary light affliction, beaten, scourged, starved, thrown in jail, mocked, caused riots, he says, these momentary light afflictions, because they're earning for me an eternal weight of reward. And every day, most of us are wasting opportunities. Now, what is it we're judged for? What is this judgment for? Well, let's take a look at some scriptures here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
This is right in that section where Paul's talking about this perspective. We read in 2 Corinthians 4 how he kept his eyes on the prize. 2 Corinthians 5. We'll read down through this quickly. For we know that this earthly house, that's his body, this tent, remember I mentioned that before, that when it's destroyed we have a building from God. Notice the contrast between a tent, which is this body, and a building, which is our resurrected body, something permanent. Not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. For in this, in this body, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation from heaven, which is our, our heavenly body. For indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. There's not going to be a gap in between. For, though we, for we who are in this tent grown being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up with life. Okay. Now he who prepared us for this very thing is God. Now let's go down to verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether to be absent or present, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all, say all. all. Say it again, all. all. Say it again, all. Now, all, I'll tell you what this Greek word all means. All. That means nobody's accepted. You are an all. I am an all. For all must appear. No, I, I think I'll take this one out, set this one out, Lord. No, all must appear before this judgment seat of Christ. That's the one I just talked about. That each may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He's not talking there about sin. We're going to talk about what it is in a minute. Verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we should persuade men because we're well known, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Well known in your consciousness. We must all appear. Go back to, uh, go back to verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each, say each, each, Say it again. Each. You're an each. All must appear that each one, each of us will receive for the things done in our body. Therefore, we should be awake and alert. Every day should be purposeful. I'm talking to me as much as you. Okay. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. Again, the purpose of this series is to wake us up, make us realize every day, not to be afraid, but to realize that we are on the edge of eternity and what that means. Let's look at, um, let's look starting verse 5. Now, Paul's writing this to a church and there were, there were, there were factions in the church. They were arguing because some of them said, well, I, you know, I, I was led to the Lord by Paul. Others said, well, I like Apollos. He's a great teacher. And, and they, they were fighting over this. And Paul starts this letter by saying, you know, you're just carnal. You're just mere men because you're dividing up the body of Christ. So now he's going to say, then, who is Paul and who is Apollos? And who, you know, you've latched yourself onto me. I'm of this camp. You're of that camp. 
You know, I believe, in, I follow Copeland, I follow Jerry Seville. I, you know, we, we, we attach ourselves to names of people. And then we distinguish ourselves. Well, you don't follow them, you're somebody else. Paul says, you're just carnal. But their minister, sir, that word servant, table waiter, through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Verse 6. I planted and Apollos watered. In other words, I put the word in you and Apollos came along the teacher and he added to it, but it's God that gave the increase. Your life in you is God working you through the seed that I planted. Verse 7. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Next verse. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will each one each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Verse nine. For we are God's fellow workers. So God is working together with us. God wants to work things. He wants to work His will, His plan through you and through me and through this church. And He needs us to do our part and we have to have Him do His part. You are God's field, God's building. Different metaphors there. Verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation. Pastor Sam was a wise master builder and he laid a foundation on this church of the Word of God. That's why this church has stood through all kinds of things that has come against it. And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. Verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay, can be laid which is Jesus Christ. Go ahead. If and now he's here, he's going to talk about what we build on the foundation of what Christ, who Christ is in our life. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day, notice the day has an initial cap on it. There's a day. There's a day when we stand before the Lord when we each. All of us stand, but we each stand individually. Each one's work will become clear, for the de- day, that day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work, what sort it is. Let's stop there a second. I, I mentioned last week, and quickly looking towards this, that I don't believe there's a holy blowtorch up there. They go, whoosh, whoosh. Oh, by the way, notice he said, your works can be gold or silver or precious stones. When those are put under fire, they don't burn up. But wood, stay, straw, and stubble, they burn up very quickly. So the things we're doing with our life, even for him, are either gold, silver, or precious stones which are parts of our life that can be, will go on into eternity and can be built on eternity, or they're worthless. They're wood, they're stone, there's hay, they're stubble, which will get burned up in the test. They burned up in the test. Now go on. Each one's work which he has built on it, if anyone's work builds on it, endures, he will receive, notice, a reward, not punishment. This is not a day you have to be afraid of for punishment. But understand in heaven, the atmosphere is different here. In heaven, people aren't saying, in heaven, it's, 
the greatest, I believe, the greatest, the greatest disappointment that I could have, because what's going to happen is you're going to get a crown, and multiple crowns maybe. Paul says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and for all those who believe in His coming. But then there's going to come a day when we worship the Lamb, and we take our crowns, and we throw them at His feet as an act of worship. And I don't want to be at that place where I have nothing to give Him who gave everything for me to worship Him. Everything comes back to Him. So the atmosphere in heaven isn't, what did I get? Whoa, I got three crowns and you only got two. Oh, wow. Boy, I'm glad I did what I... No. It's what am I going to have to give back to Him and honor Him? Because I'm only there because He gave everything for me. I only have anything to give back to Him because He graced me and used me in whatever way He chose. We have to change our perspective. Change our perspective. Change our perspective. Verse 15. Look at this. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. Loss of what? What was burned up. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. So in this day of judgment, you don't lose your salvation. In this day of judgment, you're not kicked out of heaven. In this day of judgment, all you, if what you build into your life was not what God wanted you to build into it, it just gets burned up. Say, that's a big relief. Well, that's a big relief here, but in heaven it's still a disappointment. What do I have? What am I going to have to give him? So what is it that determines the wood, stay in hub- <laughs> the wood hay, and stubble? What is it that determines the gold? Christ is the foundation. Our work for him has different values. First of all, it's our motive. Why did we do what we did? One of the things God has been dealing with me about is so many of the good things I do were so that I did good things. I don't know if you understand that. You know, you, you visit somebody, you call somebody, you, dis, you know, but so I look good, to, not, not to other people, to me, so I feel good about myself. I did good things today, so I feel good about myself. That's still based on me. First Corinthians 13, talking in the middle of the discussion on the gifts of the Spirit, the supernatural. Paul says, yeah, but if it's not motivated by love, that's my term. It counts zero. Our motives in God's eyes count everything. Our motives in this earth count nothing. But in this day, our motives will be revealed. Why we did what we did. Our obedience. Our obedience to do what He says. One of my favorite scriptures that scares, that I like and I don't like. You have some of those? is, is in, in Matthew 7 where Jesus said, uh, on, that, on that day, many, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do the will of my Father. In that day, many of you will say to me, but we performed these miracles. We did these great things for you. We cast out demons. We did great supernatural things for you. And I will just say, Part, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness in that verse is doing things for God that I wanted to do, not being obedient to do the things He wanted me to do. So obedience is the second thing. And the third thing is faithfulness. Faithfulness. In 1 Corinthians uh, 4... And I'm not going to take the time to read down through there. 
But basically, Paul says, let, let a man, so I will read down, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mystery of God. What is, moreover, it is required in stewards that they be found faithful. So one of the things you'll be judged for is that you do what God had you for you to do, not what you thought you was good to do or what somebody else was doing. This is one of the biggest things pastors have to deal with because there are a lot of fast-growing churches around us. And it's very tough. What are they doing that we're not doing? What do we need to change here to do that? We need to do what God's put us here to do and not be moved by what God's doing in other places. Be faithful to do what God's given you to do. No more, nor less. And Paul goes on to say, it's a small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human being. I don't even judge myself. <clears throat> Verse 4. For I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. I've had many people come and ministers that come through here and they say, you know, John, you've done a great job. I said, thank you, I appreciate what you think. But ultimately, what matters is what he says on that day. So I appreciate the nice things you say and don't stop saying them, but they're encouraging. They're better than things, other things people say. But I don't evaluate myself. I don't evaluate you. Because I can't look in your heart and see your motives. I don't evaluate myself. Ultimately, it's only Christ who evaluates me. So a Christian, as Christians, we're living on that edge today. He could come back today. Your heart could stop beating today. And when you do, you're going to step into eternity. And the question is, are we ready? Are we ready? That should encourage us. That should comfort us. But it should also jerk the slack out of us and wake us up. Every day is meaningful. Every day I'm building into this building of my life, either gold, silver, or precious stones, or I'm building straw, wood, stubble, hay, or something that will burn up. Because that day will come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us so much that you tell us the truth. And my prayer for me today, as well as for everyone here and in the sound of my voice, that's a believer in Christ, that we would hear this in the spirit in which you want to say it to us. There are some here today that, are, that need to be encouraged. They've been discouraged. They're weary and well-doing. And they need the encouragement, Lord, of your promise that this is not everything. That if they'll just hold on, if they'll just press through, if they'll just be faithful, Lord, that this is going to end. And they're going to step into a place where there's freedom and joy. No more tears. No more pain. No more loss. There's some, Lord, that, that need the, the slack jerked out of us. They need to wake up and realize we've been wasting time. Wake up and realize the opportunities that are presented here to serve, the opportunities that are presented around them, Lord, and, and to learn to live purposefully. For the days are evil that we may redeem the time. Help your church to wake up. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, we're going to share the Lord's table together.